valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Matthew 13, 16 through 17 says, But blessed are you, blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear but did not hear it. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in the
Savior who came to provide that love and that mercy and grace for us. Shall we pray? Father, we come before you with open hearts and minds and know that you are the God that is our creator, the one who created everything, and that you created a plan so that we could come back to you after being in sin and darkness. We thank you, Father, for the light of Jesus Christ that you put in this world and that you gave to us. And we thank you, Father, that we could hear, come here today and sing praises to you and honor you and glorify you and lift you up for you are the almighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings. And we thank you, Father, for your love. We thank you, God, for all that you have done for us and for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us and for the grace that you have given to us. And Father, we're thankful for this church and for these people that have gathered in your name so that we could come before you and lift up our praises. Jesus, we just come before you asking for your blessing upon this service and upon each and every one that's here. And we have so many that we need to lift up in prayer. We think of Pam Pennington today and all that she has been through and this tragic loss of her father this week. Father, we, we lift her up to you and we pray that you will comfort her and you will give her peace. You will be with her family and you will surround them with your love and your, your, your goodness and everything that they need right now. Give them comfort and give them peace. And Father, we pray for Jennifer Gavistein that has uh, seen the eye doctor and, and not gotten very good news. But Father, we pray that she will search out what it, what is best and that you will provide for her for what she needs for her eyes. We just lift her up today. Be with her, guide her, and direct her in the right direction and the right path. And we pray for Carrie. We know that Carrie has gone through so much in the last years, and we know that she is facing another surgery. And this week she will have to have some blood, and we, a blood transfusion. And we pray, Father, that you will prepare her for that and that 
through this blood transfusion, you will give her strength and you will give her vitality and you will strengthen her body for her surgery on the 17th. And we just lift her up today and we just ask for your blessings upon her. We know that she has been faithful to you and that she has stayed true to you and that she loves you. And we just pray, Father, now that you will intercede and you will give her peace on Tuesday as she gets this transfusion and as she prepares for this surgery. Be with those doctors. Be with those nurses. Be with the ones that are going to care for them. Be with her family, Father. Lift them up and encourage them and comfort each and every one of them. And we thank you for Deborah. And we thank you, Lord, for the great news that the tumor in her arm was benign. We give you praise today for that report. And we pray for her as she prepares to see, uh, as she has been seeing, a new surgeon for her her brain tumor and we just pray father that we we get a good report on that and we know that you have been in the midst of this and that you are a great and mighty god you are the healer and we we just lift deborah up to you today and i thank you father for interceding in my healing and i know that you are with me and that you have done great and mighty things and there's so many others father that are suffering right now whether it be a spiritual problem whether it be financial or whether it be health. And we just ask, Father, that your blessings upon each and every one, that you will encourage them, that you will strengthen them, and that you will give to them what is needed. We just thank you, Father. And now as the ushers come, we, we pray, Father, for the offering. For this offering is a blessing unto your church. It is, is what we use so that we can be here every week, and that we can be an outreach, and that we can be the lighthouse that is needed in this area. And so, Father, I just pray for each one who gives, each gift that is given, Father, may you use it to bless this church and to bless your kingdom. For we are here to serve you and honor and glorify you. And we thank you. And we ask all of this in the precious holy name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I just want to give a few announcements and uh, then we're going to um, change the service a little away from that but as the offering is taken I want to remind you that uh, we're in the holidays and lots of great things are taking place beautiful decorations we thank Sharon and all of her crew that helped to put all of this out I know that she had some help but we thank you for orchestrating it um, this coming Saturday December 7th the Arwig St uh, Steibner uh, class party will be at 5 o'clock out at the Arwigs. And uh, I think they're to bring a, a female gift for the female and a male gift for the males and go out and have a good time. And then on t uh, Tuesday, December 17th, not this Tuesday, but a couple weeks, uh, the primetime Spross Christmas party will be at 1130 in the Fellowship Hall. And we'll have a potluck dinner and an exchange gift there. And then um, December 24th, we will be having a Christmas Eve service at 5 o'clock. And we would like everybody to come and join us. We'll just be from 5 to 6 for a Christmas Eve service and honor our, our Lord Jesus Christ's birth. Uh, big thank you for all the toy donations that were given for the Mission Waco uh, toy drive which go for a great um, uh, community of people who need a helping hand during this time of the year. So I think I heard them come and pick up the gifts a while ago, 
and we appreciate them coming to do that. At this time, we want to think about our season that we have, are entering into called Advent. And Advent is a word that means to come. If you notice the songs that we sang this morning, uh, talk about coming, about Christ's coming. And we need to prepare our hearts and our lives for that, for the coming of Jesus who was born on Christmas Day. And preparing our hearts, we do that around the Advent wreath, around the Advent candles, so that we can prepare for Christmas. This being the first Sunday of Advent, we're going to light one of the purple candles. And purple is a traditional color for Advent, representing the royalty of Jesus Christ, our King, our royal King, who is coming. Purple is also a deep color that symbolizes a spiritual darkness. And we know that there's a lot of spiritual darkness out there, but Jesus brings the light. And so as we light this candle, this candle is called the light, the candle of hope. The candle of hope, that is our hope as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus was very important in our history and for each one of us as Christian to know that Christ was born on Christmas Day, or at least we celebrate that day to represent Christ. This candle is a day that we celebrate hope. We hope that everyone will come to know Christ, to know God. And we know in the world today that there is so many out there that do not know who God or Christ is. As we sang the songs this morning, we sang about um, coming and rejoicing. There's a song called Waiting for Jesus, and it says, Waiting, waiting for Jesus, our Lord Emmanuel. A voice cries in the desert, prepare the Lord's way. Turn to him with all your heart, rejoice and sing and pray. Within your hearts prepare a place for God to dwell. King of kings and Lord of lords, the good news we must tell. It is up to us to tell and share what God has done for each of us during this time, during the Advent, during the each day that we come in contact with people so that they will know the good news of Jesus Christ. Hundreds of years ago, before Jesus was born, there was the prophets of the Old Testament, and these prophets prophesied of a Messiah that was coming, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so this candle of hope symbolizes the long-awaited and hoped-for Jesus Christ, who could come to save the people from their sins. And so I want to read a couple of scriptures from Isaiah. Isaiah seven fourteen says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living on the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And the prophet Isaiah reminds us of the hope that Jesus gives us in Jesus, that God gives us in Jesus Christ. We have many lights around us at Christmas, 
beautiful lights. And we need to remember that Jesus is the light of the world. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the coming of Jesus to the earth and for the prophets who prophesied of that coming. We thank you that Jesus brought the light into the world, that we could have the light in our lives and to know that he lives and he saves us and that this long-waited anticipation of his coming and of this hope candle, not only do we hope of the coming of Christ at Christmas, but that he will come again and he will come to set this world right again. We just thank you, Father, for this time of Advent and for relying upon you and knowing that you are the one who gives hope and you're the one that refreshes our hearts and lives through the light of Jesus Christ. Amen. And now, Pastor Don. Wake up, wake up, you're going to miss your tea time. One of the Christmas gifts I got one year from Joe Morrison, who passed away, my dear friend passed away in May, uh, was a clock, and uh, it was a golfer, a tiny little fat golfer, which I guess looked a lot like me. And uh, when you set that clock, it had two volumes on it, low and loud. My wife hated that clock. And so periodically, uh, I would set it so that it would wake up to that, and that's the way it would wake you up. Wake up, wake up, you're going to miss your tea time. And I feel like this morning we need to wake up, wake up, or we're going to miss the sermon. Amen? Very quiet this morning. We have a gentleman in the uh, Colleen Church of the Nazarene who is a seminary graduate. His name is Matt Thompson. And (coughs) we're very fortunate to have him at the Colleen Church. Because every Advent season, he writes a little devotional booklet for all of the congregation to read leading up to Christmas. And it begins on December the 1st and ends on uh, Christmas Day. And he has that kind of gift. He's a, he's a gifted writer. And uh, so we're very pleased to do that. Our good secretary, Rochelle... Uh, has chosen one for you this year that I think will be a tremendous blessing. And it uh, gears around the prophets, the angels, the shepherds, the magi, and then us. And it's a daily devotional thought brief leading to all kinds of whatever spiritual depth you want to take it to. And I would highly recommend that your family use this as a preparation for the Advent season. You know, we put decorations up in preparation for Christmas. We buy gifts in preparation for Christmas. We set parties in preparation for Christmas and all of this. And this is one of the vital things, not just preaching on Sunday, uh, but daily in the Word. And this will really help you in doing that. So we want every family to have one. We want the ushers. Could you come and and just uh, pass these out, one per family, if you haven't got one yet? Ushers, come on, be brave. Be brave, come up. And then if we have some uh, that are left after passing out one per family, if you'll just raise your hand to get one, uh, then we'll have them at the Welcome Center out here, and then you can get your individual copy because you don't like to share. Because you're selfish. And you're not going to share your toy 
with anybody else is just yours. So if you need to do that, there'll be some out at the Welcome Center, and I, I know you're going to enjoy that. And there's one up here if we run one short. Well, today we begin the Advent season in preaching. And as I was praying about what the Lord would have me to preach, I, I'm going to be talking about why I chose the direction that I chose as I get into the message. But essentially, we know that the Christmas story is so familiar to us because it's something that we do year after year after year. And so I'm going to talk to you, my first two subjects I want to talk to you about before we maybe preach a couple of very traditional Christmas messages but the first two I want to be a little heavier and a little deeper and a little more challenging. So I want to talk to you about why he came. And then next week I want to talk to you about when he came. And what it does, it takes us to a little deeper depth. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't go to Luke to find the scripture. The scripture is not found in Isaiah, a very traditional place to find Christmas uh, uh, text uh, and it's not from Matthew it, it doesn't deal with Matthew Mark or uh, John none of those but it deals with a deeper subject of individuals who talked about Christmas that if you don't if you didn't know the Bible you might even you might not even know that they are doing that so to start that off this morning and we don't have an outline because of the Thanksgiving season but I think you'll be able to follow along if you decide to take notes, but let's stand together and go to Philippians uh, chapter 2. Once again, a, a book, if you were to think about Christmas, and you were to think about what Christmas, uh, well, to go find the Christmas story, and to read about the birth of Jesus Christ, you probably wouldn't think about going to the book of Philippians, uh, because it's a letter that was written by Paul to the church at Philippi, we talked a lot about that last week in our Thanksgiving message on being joyful. So it certainly is a book about being joyful. And part of that joyfulness that Paul is dealing with in chapter 2, he talks about the advent of Jesus Christ, even though you might not rec recognize it. And here's what he said, beginning with verse 5, reading down to verse 11. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, uh, would you uh, give us wisdom now, Lord, as we preach the word? <coughs> would you give us insight, Lord, that's beyond our preparation? 
Would you guide us, Father, that we could lead these precious people, Lord, into this Advent season with a challenge uh, that is not directed by a pastor, but something that is directed by Paul and the Word of God. May we begin to grasp, Lord, this season and what it means to us spiritually. Would you guide, Lord, every word as we speak this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. In Philippians chapter 2, the scripture that I read to you this morning, we find a most graphic picture, one of the most graphic pictures that you can find in the Bible concerning Christ and Christmas. Uh, Christmas messages, you know, are not always easy to find or easy to preach. That's because Christmas messages are divided into two uh, divisions. Uh, there's the easiness of the Christmas message. It's that message that all of us from the time I was a little boy, uh, standing in the farmhouse, the mantle, if you know what a mantle is at the farmhouse, and on that mantle every year, my mother would put up a nativity scene, very elaborate, every piece of it made out of, carefully out of ceramic, and it had a little uh, star there over the manger and the little baby, and it had all of the uh, camels and the wise men, and the whole thing was set up, and there's the easiness of a little boy who can look at that scene on a mantle at the farm and realize something, at least have some idea of what Christmas means spiritually beyond the gifts. And we all can talk about the innkeeper and, and Joseph and Mary and angels and shepherds and wise men. And those of us that have been around the church for a long time, we literally have heard hundreds of messages regarding that. And because it is so well known, it creates a very easiness at Christmas season to preach messages concerning the coming of our Lord. But there's also the difficulty that lies in the speaking and teaching and preaching about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because I want Christmas to be enlightening concerning this incarnation of Christ. And in order for it to be enlightening, you've got to go to the deeper truths of it, the, the deeper things that we need to know beyond shepherds and Mary and Joseph and a donkey and animals and a manger and all those things that have to do with Christmas. If we're going to really learn what it's all about, we have to go deeper than that. And so the message of incarnation is wrapped up in difficulty at times that, uh, that we oftentimes have to deal with and, and give some attention to. Well, I want to look at Paul's not-so-simple message this morning. And the topic is this that he was dealing with. He was basically saying to us or teaching us why Jesus came. He's not talking about Mary all of a sudden uh, uh, becoming pregnant as a virgin. <coughs> He's talk, talking about Joseph dealing with Mary. He's not talking about uh, 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 John the Baptist that was born at that particular time, his cousin. He's not talking about shepherds watching their flocks at night. He is simply talking to us about the, the theology about the birth of Jesus Christ 
and exactly what that means. Or, in other words, he is talking to us about this subject, why Jesus came. Now, if I were to, if we were to interview people, all types of people and facets of people in life about what Christmas means to them, and if we interviewed a businessman, he might say this, well, Christmas means the salvation of my business, that if it wasn't for Christmas and the gift or, and the buying that takes place at Christmas and the, the surge of the purchases that takes place at Christmas, I would probably lose my business. <coughs> In fact, I would be out of business if it hadn't been for Christmas or if it wasn't for Christmas. And we've heard that over and over again, and it is so true. If we ask a child what Christmas means, they, of course, would tell us, well, it means candy, and it means gifts, and it means a Christmas tree, and, and it means Santa, and it means fun, and it means cousins, and it, it's just a great time. And it means being out of school for two weeks. Christmas to children means an entirely different thing. And if we ask a mother and said, what does Christmas mean to you? She might say to us, Christmas means cards sent, <coughs> gifts bought, presents wrapped, decorating cookies, uh, making others happy. If you ask dad, if you ask dad what Christmas means, since I was a dad, I can tell you that Christmas meant two things to me outside of being a preacher. Amen? We'll set the preacher part aside and just say dad, just dad Don. And dad Don would say that it meant two things. How am I going to pay for this? That's one. And secondly, and most critical, what am I going to get my wife? Amen? You guys have that problem? How am I going to pay for this, and what am I going to get my wife? In one church bulletin, in the church bulletin, when the secretary typed it up, she made a mistake. The choir was supposed to sing. Uh, they, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. <coughs> and she made a mistake, and she simply listed in the bulletin, I heard the bills. I heard the bills on Christmas Day. And I can tell you as a dad, I have felt that way on more than one occasion. The Apostle Paul, if we look at the Apostle Paul, and setting apart dads and moms and children's and businessmen, we could go to the Apostle Paul and say, Paul, what does Christmas mean to you? And he would summarize it with this statement. Now I want you to get this. This is Paul's summary of Christmas. Oh, you got water. They have water in Waco. It's wonderful. We have it in Temple. We have Lake Belton. I'm not sure you should be drinking it, but we have Lake Belton. He would say this. Now listen to this. He would say, The Son of God became the Son of Man so that we who are sons of men could become sons of God. 
And let me give it to you again. This is Paul's summation of Christmas. No trees, no decorations, no gifts, no parties, uh, none of that. He simply said, Christmas is the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. That's what Christmas is. And he did this by talking to us about three aspects, and I hope you get these. These are so beautiful. And in the scripture I read to you this morning, he gave us the three aspects of Christmas that we need to understand theologically. Number one, he talked about his existence. Number two, he talked about his emptiness. And number three, he talked about his exaltation. Paul, what does Christmas mean to you? Well, it means existence, emptiness, and exaltation. <coughs> Let's look first of all this morning at the existence of Christ. In verse 6, the first part, for as Paul begins to talk about it, he talks about that he existed, Christ existed in, now get this, in the form of God. You see what he says? Who being in the very nature God. Philip's translation says this, For he who has always been God by nature. Now all that Paul is saying to us when he says that is this, See, we have a tendency, and I had a tendency as a little boy, and we have a tendency in children's church, if we don't explain it right to the children, and we even have a tendency in the sanctuaries across America today, if we don't explain it right to the people, <coughs> we have a tendency to believe, now get this, that Jesus came into existence in Bethlehem of Judea. That before that time, he never was. There wasn't Jesus, and then there was Jesus. God had a plan, and the plan that he had was to have a son. He chose a virgin. The virgin became pregnant by the Holy Ghost, the baby was born, and the baby was named Jesus, and it all began right there. Nothing could be further from the truth. You see, Jesus did not start in Bethlehem of Judea. Jesus did not begin on Christmas Day. Jesus wasn't born, and all of a sudden we didn't have Jesus, and now we do have Jesus. And what are we going to do with Jesus Jesus always was and always will be. Jesus was with the Father during the creation. Jesus was with the Father at the very beginning when everything was created. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus himself, not the Heavenly Father, Jesus himself spoke everything into existence. He always was. And so all that happened on Christmas Day was that he who was incarnate became 
seeable. He who was part of the Father left the Father as one of the parts of the Trinity and came to earth to be our Savior, volunteered to do it. Now you say, Pastor, uh, maybe Paul just has it wrong. No, Paul doesn't have it wrong. In fact, not only does Paul not have it wrong, but John told it better than Paul. <laughs> John was better at telling it than Paul. And so if we go to, uh, to uh, John, in John chapter 1 and verse 1 to 5, this is what he says. Now listen to this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then he goes on to say this. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. John is talking about the fact that Jesus always was spoken into existence and that it was God's plan that the one who was not seeable, because we never got it, would become seeable. You see, God had done everything he could in the Old Testament for us to get what God was. Amen? He, I mean, you, you just cannot believe what God went through to try to get the people to understand who he was and what he was doing and what his plan was, and he was never able to pull it off. And so what he did is he took what was unseeable, which was Jesus, and he made him seeable so that we could now understand exactly what God is or was and always will be. In fact, in uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, same writer, look at what he says. That which was from the beginning, which, now listen to this, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. Bethlehem of Judea. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. <coughs> which was with the Father and appeared to us. He came down. And then he goes on to say, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Let me put the first point in summation. Christ always was. Christ was always divine. Christ came. We saw Christ. We share it with you that you may find him creating a common fellowship <coughs> so the apostle paul said in philippians 2 that that the existence of christ always was 
You see, that, that is so different from a manger. I, was, I, I had the privilege of going to the Holy Lands. We went down into, into this Catholic church. It's always a Catholic church. And down in the basement of that Catholic church was a, like a cave because it really wasn't born in a wooden structure but a cave. And there in that cave was this place that they say was the birthplace of Jesus Christ. And when, when that little baby laid there in that birthplace, it wasn't like going to the hospital and saying, let's name him Joe or let's name him Bob because it never was and now it is, so we got to give him a name. Jesus already had a name because he already was. And the thing that they saw in that manger was not something that began there. It was something that always was in existence that came to earth for us. Well, then he talks about emptiness. He talks about emptiness. Look at verse 6 through 8. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul gives us three descriptions of emptiness in this scripture. Number one, he talks about that Jesus gave up his rights. See, Jesus could have come to a palace. Jesus could have come to the pinnacle of the earth, wherever that is. I happen to think it's a field in Indiana, but it could be anywhere. Jesus could have come and sat on the seat of the White House and declared himself to be the Messiah, and he could have come with power, unbelieved power and authority. He could have set himself up as the King of kings and Lord of lords, but he didn't do that. Instead of that, he gave up all of his rights to come to earth. We live in a world today that is so messed up. I can't even tell you how bad it is, but I know that most of you know. <coughs> we have a problem, and I know what the problem is. And if you decided to ever do research about what our problem is, you would know what it is because you would discover it. You know what it is? Rights. We all want our way. We all want it to be done according to us. It's all about me. It's all about what I can have. It's all about what I can get. It's all about the candidate that I want. It's all about uh, the, the football team that I want to see win. Thank God Alabama lost. <laughs> hey, man, that wasn't in my notes. 
It's all about us. Did you know that throughout the Bible we have individuals who literally were destroyed because, all, because of demanding their rights? Satan became Satan cast out of heaven because of demanding of rights. Adam and Eve lost the Garden of Eden because of rights. <coughs> James and John argued over position in Jesus' day and was admonished by Jesus himself. Paul saw the problem in the church and addressed it in his letters. Jesus was the one who came and said, I have the right to all authority, but I will give it up so I can reach man who needs it so desperately. The second thing he also meant, he emptied himself of his identity. Now this is really good. He emptied himself of his identity. Now remember I said that born in that manger in Bethlehem of Judea was God. But when they saw that baby in that manger in Bethlehem of Judea, they didn't start proclaiming God. Let me give you an example. In Isaiah, Isaiah talked about the fact of the day when he came into the presence of the Lord. The Lord came into the presence of God. Do you remember what he said? I am unclean. I am undone. I am a low life. In the presence of God. Now think of this. If you go to the book of Revelation. Okay. Go to the book of Revelation. Where John is seeing the revelation. Of the coming of Jesus Christ. The coming of God himself. What does he see? Does he see a baby? Does he see a human being? Does he see the form that we see that Jesus was? No. He sees majesty. And power and glory, and a bright light, and something that can't even be described. And here's Jesus, 12-year-old boy. He's in the synagogue with his parents. Somebody, and, he, and so, it, I don't know if it was his turn or how it worked, but he stands up, and he quotes the book of Isaiah. Do you remember that? He stands up, he quotes the book of Isaiah, God, quoting the book of Isaiah. And what did they say? Wait a minute. Isn't that Joseph's boy? <laughs> Isn't that the kid that grew up in Nazareth and worked in the carpentry? Wait a minute. <coughs> you see, Jesus... Came as a baby, a boy, a teen, an adult. He ate, he walked, worked with his hands, suffered, felt pain, lost loved ones, suffered, hungered and thirsted, 
was rejected and died, and he did all of that without disclosing the majesty of who he really was. He emptied himself of his deity. One other thing that we know about him that Paul talks about here, about emptiness, he emptied also meant that he, he gave up himself. He gave up himself. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have said, I've had enough. Bring the angels. Let's fight the war right now. They're not worth it. They have tortured me. They have rejected me. They, They won't listen to me. Do it now. But he willingly died on the cross for you and for me. His willingness, his emptiness allowed his willingness to die for us. And that brings us to the last that I see here that Paul says. I also see his exhortation, and that's in verse 9. Now get this. Paul says, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. There's no place higher than where God put Jesus. He exalted him to the highest place, the right hand of the Father. And the Father said, his name is above all. At his name, I promise you, at his name, All knees will bow now and then, and every tongue will confess now and then that he is Lord. We keep messing with Christmas. Every year we mess with it more and more. We do not realize, or you may not realize, that over the last 20 years, and it started about sometime in the mid-1990s, Christmas has been removed from Christmas. Are you aware of that? It is no longer Christmas. It is a holiday. It is no longer Christmas. It is a celebration of worldliness. It is no longer Christmas. It is a materialistic celebration of saving the merchants. It is no longer Christmas. It is parties and gatherings and, 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 and uh, drunken orgies and anything else that can take place. We purposely, as a nation, are taking the Christ out of Christmas. And it's being done intentionally. Well, what do you have to say to that, Pastor? (laughs) Well, let me just open this up again here. God said, because my son left heaven and became you so that you could see him and through him you could see me and you could feel him, touch him, know him, 
because my son emptied himself and went to the cross and died for you. Listen to this. Every knee one day will bow and every tongue one day will confess that he is Lord. Let's stand together and pray. Our Father, you, you lay messages on the hearts of pastors, and I know that. There's one thing I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord, is that you do that because somebody in a congregation needs to hear what you directed us to say. There's no doubt in the congregation, Lord, that there are victory-celebrating Christians that know all these truths and live it on a daily, daily basis. But, Lord, my concern is that there might be one here this morning, Lord, who maybe didn't realize the importance of Christmas, that it goes beyond gifts, trees, celebration, that God sent his son, and he sent him for a purpose. That purpose was so that we could see and touch and feel and know and learn about you, Lord. And that he might set his flint towards the cross of Calvary to die for us. That Christmas is the sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ who came for us. That we might know eternal life. So, Father, if there's one here this morning who doesn't know that truth in their heart, have never, never accepted this Savior as their Savior, never confessed their sins, never accepted him, or just planning to go through another Christmas with celebration but not really knowing what it all meant, or maybe even caring, but your Spirit has spoke to them and they need to pray this morning. We'd love to pray with them, lay hands on them, that through a simple confession, Lord, they could accept you as their Savior, the one who was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the precious little baby that is God the Father. Would you help the one that needs to do that, Lord, this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing. You come if you need to pray.
days prior to Thanksgiving, because we're old, and you tend to let things go a little bit when you're older, Jan and I worked together and we began to clean the house. That's probably how I got sick. <laughs> and uh, so we worked and worked and worked and got it cleaned. And next week I want to talk to you about that. Not the cleaning of my house. That would be boring. But Jesus was born in obscurity in Bethlehem of Judea. Amen. Kings didn't know it. Leaders of the world didn't know it in obscurity. And yet, there was an elaborate preparation that went into the ushering in of Jesus upon earth. So I want to talk to you about when he came next week. I trust you'll pray about that and you'll come invite a friend and that you'll be, uh, that all your Christmas preparations will be light. But above all else, I pray that you'll keep the Christ in Christmas. Thank you, Father, Lord, for this time together, sharing from the word of Paul, telling us, Lord, about this one who came in Bethlehem of Judea, the one who always was, the one who emptied himself, the one who sacrificially gave his life for our sins. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the season. In thy precious name, amen. God bless you as you go this morning. Lord, go with you. Watch the traffic.